Hey, let's, uh, I want to tell you an, an oikos story today, and if you've been around with us here at Lakeside for very long, you know what an oikos is, but if you're new with us, you may not have heard that word, so let me describe that first, and then we'll talk about the story. An oikos is the, oikos is the uh, Greek word, it's the New Testament word for house, and it refers to those people that live in your house, or it refers to those people that could live in your house if they ran out, you know, they didn't have a place to be, right? So, like your extended family could come to live with you at some, you know, so something like that. Or it can be network. So it's, it's kind of this group around you. And the way we, we like to describe it is, it's the people that God has strategically and sovereignly put in the front row of your life. So you know who the, front row, the people in the front row of your life are? At the Academy Awards, it's this. Which, and I don't, look at that picture. I don't know what happened. This, something frightened all these actors. Which might be what happens when people in the front row of your life watch your life. They're like, I, I don't know if that's how it goes for them, right? But every one of us has people, and we think usually about 8 to 15, maybe a few less than that, maybe a few more than that, but about 8 to 15 people that sit in the front row of your life. And you know what's interesting about the people in the front row of your life? We got people in the front row of my life today, like, you guys, you're my oikos right here today, because you're in the front row of my life. You know what happens in the front row? You pay lots of attention you have to because you don't know if the guy at front's going to go, can you like read the scripture for me today? You know, see, it's like, whoa. And they're watching you. And you people in the back row, I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> you know, I hope you're doing good and stuff, but you could be texting. You could be reading the comics. I don't know. I mean, I know you're not, but you see what happens when you, the closer you are to the front row, the more you pay attention. When you have someone who's in the front row of your life, they are paying attention to you. And you go, my children are in the front row and they're not paying any attention at all. No, no, no. <laughs> They are paying attention. They're just pretending not to, right? So we're going to talk about an oikos story today from the scriptures, and it's about the people that are in the front row of this person's life, and we'll get to that story in just a minute. I also want to tell you this story is a redemptive story. It's a redemption story. You know redemption stories? They're our, they're our favorite stories. They're the, they're the ones where someone was lost and they got found. They're the, they're the ones when, when you had something and it wandered away and you bought it back and it cost you something to bring it back and it's so precious to you, you go, I'll do anything to get them back or to get that back. It's a redemption story and we love redemption stories and we love to tell them over and over and over. We love to hear them over and over and over. Because we know somewhere in the back of our mind that every redemption story hints at the story of Jesus, which is the ultimate redemption story. And so today I want to tell you a redemption story, and I want you to know that every one of us here in the room, every one of us in the world is in the middle of a redemption story. But you might not know exactly where you are in the plot, and so as we talk through this story from the scripture, hopefully we'll be able to look at our own lives and go, okay, where am I in the plot, and how does this redemption story work for me? All right, so with that background, let's, uh, let's open up our Bibles together today to Acts chapter 10. If you have your copy of the scripture with you, you can pull it out and open it. If you've got your smartphone, you can read it on there. People are, if you're newer with us, people that have their smartphone out, they're not texting, actually. They might be tweeting about the, the talk today or something, but they're probably just looking at the scripture. So we got the YouVersion Bible app on there. We got some notes in there. If you want to follow along with that, that's great. Uh, if you want to just listen, that's fine as well. Acts chapter 10, verse 1. Here's the beginning of the story. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. 
He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius! Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. All right, let's stop there and get some background on what's going on. Caesarea is a little coastal town. Actually, it was a coastal city in the nation of Israel. But it was, in the, it was in the nation of Israel, but it wasn't primarily a Jewish city. It was primarily a Gentile city because it was a hub of the Roman government, and it was the center of the Roman ar- army in Israel. So even though it's in Jewish territory, it's, it's occupied primarily by Gentiles, And here's this man whose name is Cornelius. Cornelius, He's a captain in the Roman army. He's a centurion. He's in charge of approximately 100 soldiers. And in our our language today, he'd he'd be similar to a captain in the army. And he's got people he's responsible for. They report to him. He sends them on missions. He's the leader of that part of the army there in Israel. And he is an unwelcome immigrant. He showed up with guns and tanks and things. Well, not guns and tanks. And he showed up like spears and bows and arrows and horses and chariots and cavalry and things like that. Weapons of war is what he showed up with. So he arrives in the country and now he's living there among the people of Israel, but they don't want him there at all because he represents an enemy army occupying their land. And yet the Bible says he's devout, which means he loves God. And he actually was generous to the people of Israel. He gave resources to the people of Israel. He was a God-fearer, which was a, which was a technical term in that generation. You, know, you could be Jewish, you could be Gentile. Those were kind of the two options. But you could be a Gentile who was a God-fearer, which meant you loved the God of the Israelites, you just didn't want to get circumcised, which is legit. I'm not going to say anything more. You guys, I'll let you chuckle as long as you want. (laughs) He was generous and he prayed for the people of Israel. And the people in his oikos noticed. The people in the front row of his life, the people that were like paying the most attention to his life, they noticed. And you know what happened to them? They also began to pray for the people of Israel. Here's these Roman soldiers, and they're praying for the people of Israel, and they're being generous to others, to people in Israel, because that's what the, the person who's leading their oikos is doing. And they're watching, and they're paying attention, and they're being drawn in. They watched him as he prayed. Prayer is one of the crafts of a well-crafted life. We talk about what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, and we go, prayer is part of that. Prayer permeates this story. And here's a man who doesn't even know yet who Jesus is, yet he's devoted to praying. And the people in his oikos watched that. And then he, he, gave, he gave resources to people that were in need in Israel. He gave resources to them. And generosity is a craft in the well-crafted life. It's part of what makes us, or it's part of what it looks like when we're a follower of Jesus. 
And here he's being generous before he ever even knows Christ. This is, this is like B.C. for him, before Christ for him. And yet he's already live, learning what it looks like to live out a well-crafted life. Reminds me very much of what, when I think of Lakeside and, and what Lakeside Church is about. I go, look, I see this in us. I look at generosity among us. I go, look at, look at how that works. So we've been doing this food drive for the last month. This is the last weekend that we're doing the official food drive. You can bring food forever if you want. We'll take it and, and get it where it needs to go. But we've been like, hey, let's, let's help for the summer because the food donations dry up in the summer. Let's get food. And every week you guys are bringing in food to the truck out there. And, and I know some of you brought food the first week and then you brought food the second week and you brought food the, you know, the next week. And it just, we just keep filling that truck. Great job, you guys. What is that? That's just evidence of a well-crafted life. And people around you notice. And you're shaping the people in your oikos that way. We've been doing this for years at Lakeside in various ways. Some of you were with us a few years ago when we initiated the, uh, the next 10 projects. And we said, let's give some money to things. Like, let's, let's fund our, our protege program with that. And we said, let, yeah, let's do that. And we said, let's give some money to some other organizations. So we're not just raising money for us to build another building, which is not a bad thing. But it's like, it's not always just about us. We said, let's raise some money and give it to somebody else. We gave $200,000 in the very first weekend of that campaign to Mary Beth Sexton in the Christian school that she operates in Malawi to buy land. We wanted them to buy land. They've been looking for land for four years. They bought land last month. Yeah, it's fantastic. After that, we, we collected another $250,000. We said, we're connected with some people in Ethiopia, and we know there's a water shortage, a water problem, so girls primarily girls have to walk to get water and bring it back they miss school because they got to get water every day we said what if we gave money and we funded a water project that will service literally tens of thousands of people and we gave that to them then this this last year we gave three hundred thousand dollars to Folsom's Hope right here in our own town to say look this is a beautiful thing going on serving at-risk children and at-risk families in our community let's help them get this building built that they're trying to do amazing and all of that is about generosity. And all of that is a mark of a well-crafted life as a follower of Jesus. And I see it in you. We, we see it in one another. And it's beautiful. Well, that's what, that's what people were seeing in Cornelius. And it's even what God saw in Cornelius. And this angel shows up and he says, Cornelius, your, your prayers and your gifts have come up as a memorial offering before God. And God's paid attention to that. So here's... Here's Cornelius, and he has, like, in, 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 the, in the middle of the afternoon, he has this vision. And God speaks to him through an angel and says, here's what I want you to do. It's a very clear, simple vision. He goes, I want you to send to Joppa and find a man named Peter and call him back to talk to you. Whatever he has to say, I want you to listen to him. And he's like, yes, Lord, okay. It's so interesting how God is willing to work through visions. Sometimes, sometimes people, anybody ever tell you their vision and you, and you, and you heard their vision and you went, oh, like, that's, that's weird, you know? Every, so sometimes, you know, Jesus' followers, like, I had a dream. Not like Martin, Martin Luther, that was a good dream, you know? But like other kinds of dreams, and sometimes it freaks me out. But sometimes God works through visions. There's a lot of stories that are coming out of the Muslim world these days where people that are in the Islamic faith, and they live in countries where the gospel can't get in very easily because the borders are closed to Christian missionaries, 
Like God's, God's thinking, how am I going to get into there? And so he, he reaches them by dreams, by visions of whom? Of Jesus. And we hear stories like that all the time from the Muslim world. Why? Because God's going to redeem people somehow. God's going to get the message to people somehow. So here's a Roman soldier. He's devout. He loves God, but he doesn't know everything about God yet. God goes, I'm going to reach him with a dream. And he gives him this vision, and he says, hey, I want you to send to Joppa and get this guy named Peter. He's living with a guy named Simon the Tanner, which when you hear that part, if you know the background of the story, it's sort of a wink-wink moment. It's sort of like the angels winking to, to Cornelius, like, you'll, you'll get this, and we'll come back to that in a minute. But just hang on to that thought that Peter's living with a guy named Simon who's a tanner, a, a leather worker. We'll come back to it. So Cornelius gets three people out of his oikos, out of his front row, two servants, and a soldier who is devout. Why is he devout? Because he's been watching Cornelius. And he gets them, and he sends them off to Joppa, which is about 40 miles away. He says, go find this guy named Peter. And off they go. Verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, "'Get up, Peter, kill and eat.'" Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him again a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Don't hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we've come from Cornelius, the centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man who's respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into his house to be his guests. Peter goes up on his roof to pray. Why? Because he's trying to live a well-crafted life. Prayer is a craft in the well-crafted life. Prayer permeates this story. And Peter goes up on his roof to pray. And when he's up there, he gets hungry. And he has a vision. Now, I don't know how your prayer life goes. You know, we all, we all are learning to pray in different ways and things like that. I don't know how your prayer life is. But if, do you, have you ever, like, laid down at bed at night and you went, oh, God, I'm just going to pray before I go to sleep? Right? And, and, then, and then, like, you fall asleep in 15 seconds. You ever do that? And then you, you wake up the next morning and you had this great night's sleep, but you feel guilty. I'm like, stop feeling guilty. You fell asleep in the presence of God. That's fantastic. No wonder you slept so well. Here's Peter, he goes up on the roof, he's hungry, and he, it says he falls into a trance. So the vision's everywhere in this story. It's a little bit weird. And Peter's vision is really weird. Cornelius' vision was really direct. Send a Joppa and get Peter. He goes, yes, Lord. And then Peter's vision was really chaotic and dramatic and scary and strange and repeated. There's this sheet that comes down from heaven. It's full of creepy collars. 
birds and four-footed animals and lizards and things, right? And they're all in this sheet, and it comes down, and a voice goes, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. And he says something fascinating. He he says, Not so, Lord. Now, wait a second. We don't have lords in our culture. We don't have masters too much. We have bosses, you know, but in America, we, we, we back talk our bosses. So, I, you know, I don't know. We don't really get this part. When you have a master and he says, do this, you don't go, no, Lord. You don't get to say no to the master. No, master. That's just, that's, you can't do that. He goes, not so, Lord. I've never eaten anything that wasn't kosher. Never eaten anything that wasn't that wasn't clean and the voice comes back to him and says don't call unclean what i've called clean now i don't know if peter was slow or what happened but it happened three times she comes down arise peter kill and eat no lord you do you know boom goes back up then it comes back down again you think one time you go okay i got this but it comes back down goes through the whole thing again goes back up comes back down does the whole thing again then goes back up three times and then there's somebody at the door it's these three guys that came from Cornelius to find Peter, and they're at the door. And the Lord says to Peter, do not be afraid to go with them, for I have sent them. They're soldiers of an enemy army. They're Gentiles. And God says, don't, don't be afraid to go with them. I have sent them to you. What happens when God sends new people into your oikos? Right? You've got people on the front row of your life. They're watching you. They're paying attention to what your life looks like. They're listening for what you talk about. What happens when God sends new people into that oikos? Sometimes they're different from us. Sometimes, sometimes they're not expected in our lives. What happens when God sends those people into our lives? Because maybe he's saying, don't be afraid. I sent them to you. When Donna and I moved into our house uh, in Old Folsom a few years ago, we found out that the house next to us was vacant. Well, it wasn't really vacant. It, it, it was used as an office. It was a commercial office. And I remember moving in. I was so disappointed because I'm all, I want to meet my neighbors and I want to have neighbors and they're in my oikos and they're going to be in my front row in my side yard. It's like, okay. And then I found out it's used for an office and, and actually very seldom used as an office. And so mostly it was vacant for three years until Wednesday. A family moved in. Now they're in my front row. They can see what happens on my deck when I'm eating dinner on a summer evening. You know, it's like, they're in my front row. And what if the Lord said, don't, don't be afraid. I sent them to you. Now they're in the front row of my life. They're in my oikos. And I believe God sent them there. Verse 23. Peter invited the men into his house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends, which is how we describe oikos. 
gathers together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour. At three in the afternoon, suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who's called Peter. He's a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for him immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we've all, we're all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Cornelius has invited his oikos. His house is full. Everybody's there, all of his relatives, his close friends, his associates, people who serve him in the army. They're all there, gathered together in his house. See, Cornelius expected God to show up. When you get up in the morning, do you expect God to show up? Cornelius expected God to show up, so he invited all of his friends and his family, his oikos. He, he invited them, hey, you, you got to come, because I had a vision, and, and God's doing something. This guy Peter's going to come, and he's going to tell us what God wants us to know. you got to come, and he invites them together. Why? Because he expected God to do something. Did you invite anybody to come to church with you today? Did, did, did you expect God to show up? If you expect God to show up, don't you want other people to catch it when he does? Now, just because you invite them doesn't mean they're going to show up every time. And maybe you have to invite them and invite them and invite them. But these people had been watching Cornelius' life. And when he invited them, they're like, oh, I, I got I to check this out. We have this thing in the, the life as a follower of Christ. We have this thing called faith. And when it works out in our lives, faith looks like expectation. It looks like we expect God to do certain things in our lives. Now, we don't expect it like we demand it. You don't make demands of God. But you can certainly expect him to do the things that he said he would do. And we live by faith. And we lean into these people that God has brought to the front row of our lives. Peter says to Cornelius when he walks in the door, he, he, he says, uh, Cornelius, you do know that it's against the law for me to be here, right? I'm a Jew, you're a Gentile, I'm not supposed to be in your house. And I don't know if Cornelius is now thinking about that angel who said that, he was, that Peter was staying with Simon the Tanner. Do you know it was also illegal for Peter to be staying in the house of a leather worker because they work with dead animals? That was unclean in the Jewish world. We are all hypocritical in our own way. People go, I don't want to go to church because it's full of hypocrites. If you ever hear someone say that, just raise your hand. It's like, yeah, that would not, I mean, okay, you can raise your hand now. Hey, way to go interactive. I like that. Nice, nice job. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right? Oh, you're all hypocrites, right? We are. We're all in our own different way, all in our own unique way. We don't mean to be. 
if we could figure out the ways in which we were hypocrites, we'd probably work on changing those things, but, but they're there. We're, we, don't, we don't measure up to Christ. We don't pretend to measure up to Christ. But we are choosing to follow him. Now Peter's learning a lesson about his own life in places where he'd been a hypocrite in his own journey. And Cornelius says to him, Peter, we're all here. All of his friends, all of his relatives, we're all here. And we're in the presence of God here. That must have been a shock for Peter to hear. Here's a Gentile soldier, officer, saying, we're all here in the presence of God, in a Gentile house. God shows up in places you would never imagine. God shows up in places you probably never expect. And that's a problem with our faith. Expect God to show up. We're all here, Peter. You tell us what God has commanded you to say. Verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with them. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Peter says, I now understand that God accepts people from every nation. God accepts people from every ethnic group. That's what the word is, nations, ethnic. God accepts people from every group. Peter says, I finally get that now. Do we? Do we accept people from every group? We're going to do a series, not next weekend, it's going to start the weekend after, two weeks from now. We're going to do a series, it's going to be called, What If We're Different? Because that's what it's like when, when you accept people who are from different ethnicities, from different nations, from different backgrounds, we're, we're different. What if we're different? We're going, to have, we're going to have four weeks of this series where we're going to talk about what it looks like to accept people who are different. Week one, we're going to have a friend of mine who's an African-American pastor. He's going to preach to us. You're going to love it. It's going to be amazing. And he's going to talk to us about black and white relationships in our community, in our region, from a Christ-following, Christ-honoring perspective. The next week, we're going to have the imam from next door at the mosque. He's going to be with us, and we're going to do an interview. He and I are going to have a conversation about what his faith looks like and how do we actually love our neighbor, who is actually our neighbor, week after that, we're going to have the Jewish rabbi from across the street in the synagogue, the little Jewish com community center. He's not going to be with us because his law won't let him be in a place where Gentiles gather to pray. 
So we've already done the interview. It's already on tape and it's ready to roll. We're going we're gonna to show you that interview and let us learn what Jewish faith looks like today and how do we love our neighbor who's Jewish. And then on week four, we're going to have the hardest of all neighbors to love. We're going to have two politicians. <laughs> we're going to have a Democrat and a Republican. And they're both Christians. And I'm going to ask, I'll tell you what the first question is going to be. I'm going to ask the Democrat to describe the platform of this Republican to his satisfaction. And I'm going to ask the Republican to describe the Democrat's platform to his satisfaction as a follower of Christ. And I want you to hear it, and I want you to bring your friends to hear it, because it's possible to have different political perspectives and still be followers of Jesus together. Isn't that what Cornelius and Peter found out? What if we're different? What does God do in our oikos when he brings people to us who are different from us? Peter tells him the gospel. He says, look, he says, you know that God anointed Jesus and you know the story of what happened. And I don't think we can use the you know stuff in our culture because a lot of people don't know the story of Jesus anymore. But he said, you lived through it, Cornelius, and you people in the room, you, you lived through this. You know about Jesus. You know that he lived a holy life. You know that the Jews nailed him to a cross, which is interesting because it, it, it impugns the Jews, but it also impugns the Romans because it's Jewish people executing someone on a Roman execution tool which they had no right to use. He said, we killed him, but God raised him from the grave. And everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness for sin, which I think is the deepest, most heartfelt need every human being has, the need to be forgiven. Peter lays that out for them. He goes, that's the gospel, you guys. That's what God commanded me to tell you. And that's what God commanded me to tell you. It's like, preach the gospel. Tell people about Jesus. Invite people to be followers of Jesus. I want to invite you again today to be a follower of Jesus. You can turn to him and say, Jesus, all right, I've been thinking about you for a long time. I know the story that you died on the cross. I know that you rose from the grave. I don't get everything about it. But I want to believe in you because I could really use forgiveness of sin. You can tell him that right where you are today, and he says, yes. That's the promise. That's the story. Verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard, him speaking, heard them speaking in tongues and praising God, then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have, so he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. They believed. They were forgiven. They received God's gift of his Holy Spirit. They became passionate followers of Jesus on that afternoon. And then they said, Peter, can you stay with us? Because they're like, we want to know how to follow Jesus. They're like, we don't want to be just passionate. We want to be productive followers of Jesus. They're like, let's do the whole mission. Peter laid that out for them. 
because he wanted people to be passionate and productive followers of Christ. If I can tie all this together for us, oikos, mission, transformation, why we do what we do and the way we do it at Lakeside, it's all about engaging those people that are in the front row of our lives, those people that God has put there so that we would love them and serve them and care for them in the name of Jesus. And part of our role as a church is to create as many ways as possible to help you engage with those people in your front row. So we, our, our staff spent some time in the last week or two uh, just talking through what can we do this next year to help our people engage the people in their oikos. We, we hosted a thing for ourselves we called The Forge. It's like forging new ideas, and we just created some activities to do this year to invite you into so that you can invite your neighbors and your friends and your family into. In November, we're going to host a thing called Hope Full Circle. It's going to be a night of artists and musicians and dancers and poets coming together in the Folsom Community Center. It's going to be a, a benefit. It's going to have a benefit for Folsom's Hope, so we'll be able to give some more funding to them. But primarily, it's an opportunity for you to come and invite your neighbors who you've invited to church like 17,000 times. They go, oh, I don't think I'd want to go to church. You go, well, would you come to the community center for a concert slash dance show slash poetry recital slash engaging evening? to benefit a beautiful organization in our town. Would you do that? And maybe they'll come. It's going to be an amazing opportunity for us. We decided in the last week we're going to host, we, we host every year in August the Leadership Summit. It's a time when leaders come together and hear some of the best teachers and practitioners about leadership. And we host it in August every year, but unfortunately for the last several years, it starts on the same day school starts. So all of our educators never get to come. And I think of all the people that are leaders in this world who is a more important leader than an educator? Teachers and principals and administrators, all, all of them, and they can never come. So we're going to host a leadership summit for educators this year. And we're going to let educators from Lakeside invite their other, other educator friends in and say, hey, come, come, let's learn how to lead our students better. And they'll bring the people from their oikos into that event. We're going to do several of those kinds of things over the next year. Why? Because the people in the front row of your life matter. They matter to God. And he put them there so that we would love them and serve them and care for them in the name of Jesus. I want you to ask the question, when you get up tomorrow morning, when you leave today, let's, let's, let's change the order. When you leave today, and when you get up tomorrow morning and the next morning, what if you ask this question, how can I live redemptively today? How could you lead a redemptive life? I'm, I'm, I'm amazed we don't think about leading our lives more than we do. We live our lives. We do our lives. We let our lives live us. But what if we decided to lead our life and then ask the question, how can I lead a redemptive life today? What would change around us? Maybe we'd be like Cornelius. Maybe it would change our front row in amazing ways. Jesus, that's my prayer for us today, is that you would change the world through us, one person at a time, one row at a time. Lord, change 
us and change the people around us. May our lives become redemptive lives that we lead forward. Lord, we can't do it under our own power. We don't even want to try. We want you to do it through us. We want to humble ourselves before you and invite you to do this through us and that you would shape our world and shape this world through us. Lord, thanks for loving us. Thanks for giving your life for us. We love you. Amen.